Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Allison Langer, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Andrea Askowitz. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. She Shit! There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we're talking about a cool way to structure a story that we refer to as a container. I love the container. I love reading the container. I love stories that are in a container. So explain to our listeners, what is a container? I'll give it a try. A container is a way of containing a story. So let's say that the whole story takes place in one day or on one airplane ride or one trip to the grocery store. A container bookends this thing that the narrator is saying. Let's think of it in terms of an airplane ride. Like, let's say that I was, and this is totally made up, I'm going to meet my daughter at um, college for the first time. I can tell you the story about what it was like sitting on that airplane, but I probably would be telling a story about something else. So maybe the story would be then about being an empty nester. I'm on the plane on my way to to meet my daughter, and then I would step out of the story and talk about, like, her first day of kindergarten. And then I would sit there, and my neighbor would be bothering me. And then the food would come. And then I would remember a meal that my daughter and I shared. I would tell a story of motherhood and a story of loss and a story of growing up. That would be the story. But it would all be contained within this one airplane ride. That's an example of a container. Yeah, okay. very good. The story you're about to hear is by listener Lorreen Griswold. She told her story using a container, her hair appointment. Back after the break. We're back. And you're listening to Writing Class Radio. This is Allison Langer. And up next is a story from Lorreen Griswold, a listener from San Francisco. Lorreen told us she has always used journaling as a creative outlet. But when she started struggling with her oldest daughter a few years ago, journaling became one of the only ways to untangle all the messy feelings in her head. She's filled more than 100 journals, but has never shared her writing with anyone until now. And we have to brag ourselves up. And I'm going to read exactly what her email said. She said all that changed when she found Writing Class Radio podcast and realized that she wasn't the only one using writing to work out her shit. And I think she she wrote it really cute. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to others be vulnerable and honest gave Loreen the courage to write and submit her own story. And that is fucking cool. So thank you, Loreen, for saying that. Bragging is over. Here's Loreen with her story, Self-Care. We want to give you a trigger warning. This story contains material related to a suicide attempt. I think I may have brushed my teeth yesterday, but I'm sure I didn't shower. It has been at least two days. My hair feels stringy and oily as I twist it around my left index finger. The hair twisting is something I do when I'm anxious, 
something that is making the hair on the left side of my head much thinner than it is on the right. I can smell my armpits without lifting my arms and my prickly, unshaven legs are starting to itch. My phone vibrates and I see the name of my hair salon pop up on the screen. It's an automated reminder about my upcoming appointment. I delete it without listening, but I know the message ends with a stern warning about the 24-hour cancellation policy. I think about canceling, but the thought of dialing the number and rescheduling the appointment exhausts me. When I remember the appointment on Thursday at 5 p.m., not only do I not have 24 hours to cancel, but I barely have enough time to make the 15-minute drive and find a parking spot. Although it doesn't seem possible, being a no-show would make me feel even worse than I already do. When I arrive, I quickly scan the waiting area for familiar faces. I feel guilty. A haircut and color touch-up in the middle of a family crisis feels selfish and inappropriate. If I'm too distraught to work, how in the hell am I well enough to visit the salon? I want to leave, but before I can arrange my thoughts, my stylist taps me on the shoulder and hands me a smock. There's no time to come up with an acceptable excuse, although the truth would probably be sufficient. How are the kids? I lie. As she paints the first cool stripe of color down the top of my head, my eyes start to sting. This is another reason why I haven't left the house. The tears come on without warning and have a mind of their own. I pray my stylist doesn't notice, or at least that she will pretend she doesn't notice. I hold my breath and try to push the past 18 days out of my mind. Do not cry. Do not cry. Do not cry. I repeat the silent command in my head. I close my eyes. 18 days earlier, at 1 a.m., I get a phone call. I hear a young-sounding male voice on the other end. Suicide. Attempt. Handcuffs. Ambulance but the words are jagged, puzzle pieces that won't fit together. I wonder why he doesn't sound more upset. It takes me less than 10 minutes to grab my things and jump in the car. Fueled with gas station coffee and adrenaline, I drive the entire 378.8 miles without stopping. Nothing else matters. Not my job, not my husband, not my sons, not me. I turn on the radio and hope the music screaming from the car speakers will drown out my morbid thoughts. It doesn't. My mind jumps to all the parties I have planned for her. I think of her ladybug-themed first birthday and the tiny little cake I made just for her. I remember her delicately touching it with her fingers but refusing to eat it. I also remember the Little Mermaid party when I covered all the windows with blue cellophane and hung what seemed like thousands of blue and green streamers from the ceiling. Then my mind goes back to the worst thoughts imaginable. Shopping for her casket, choosing her final outfit, planning her funeral. When I arrive six hours later, I find her asleep in the emergency room. Her wrists are bandaged and her face is bruised. 
She is covered by a thin white hospital blanket, the scratchy useless kind that doesn't keep you warm. An older Hispanic man in a blue hospital scrubs sits five feet away from her bed. I'm not sure why he's there. Before I can ask, he stands up, smiles, and motions for me to sit down. Curtains separate my daughter from the patients to the left and to the right, but because the curtain is not pulled completely around, she is exposed. Everyone who walks by, nurses, doctors, visitors, looks in at her and then at me. When I reach to pull the curtain closed, the man stops me. Because of her suicide attempt, privacy is not an option. She is heavily sedated and awaiting a transfer to a nearby psychiatric hospital. I spent the next nine and a half hours doing nothing but watching her breathe. My stylist uses a towel to wipe the excess color from my forehead. It feels like sandpaper scraping across my skin. The tears are gone, but I have a knot in my stomach right above my belly button. I shouldn't be here. How can I be doing something so self-indulgent and normal while my daughter is suffering? How can I possibly care about my gray roots when she wants to die? How can I continue living like nothing is wrong when she is struggling with a debilitating mental illness? As my anxiety intensifies, I look forward to the 20 minutes when my head will be hidden inside the large dome-shaped dryer. As I feel the warm air circulating around my dye-covered roots, I close my eyes. I remember a time when I felt just as desperate and helpless. For weeks after my daughter was born, I was completely consumed by her. Not in a devoted new mother kind of way, but in a terrified, fear-filled way. I stopped eating. I stayed awake for days, chain-smoking marble lights on her townhouse balcony and watching her sleep on the other side of the sliding glass door. I was afraid to touch her. My postpartum brain tricked me into believing that my uninterrupted stare was required to keep her alive. I couldn't stop. As I filled my lungs with smoke again and again, I watched her tiny chest rise and fall. Now, almost 20 years later, I realize I have many of the same feelings. I feel like my life needs to stop until she's okay, but I also know deep down inside that even if I abandon my life in a frantic attempt to save hers, I don't have that kind of power. My obsessive fear, allowing myself to believe that I can save her, that I am responsible for saving her, is doing nothing but taking me to that same dark place I visited shortly after her birth. Even though I don't want to, I must accept that my intelligent, beautiful, and articulate daughter may decide to take her own life before she even starts her sophomore year in college. I must accept that despite my overwhelming love for her, there is absolutely nothing I can do to make her want to live. Nothing I do or don't do is going to make her okay. Even though I still catch myself trying, I know it's wrong to think that my words can convince her to believe that life is worth living. Just like the baby I obsessively watched breathe through the sliding glass door, watching her now is not going to keep her alive. 
but it is going to keep me from fully living. With my hair cut and colored, I weave my way back to the front desk. It's amazing how losing a couple of inches of hair can make me feel so much lighter. As I wait in line to pay, it doesn't even occur to me to look around for people I know. I hand the bearded 20-something guy my visa and wait to sign my name on the screen with the plastic black pen. When he asks me if I'd like to schedule my next hair appointment, I hesitate, not sure how to answer. Yes, cut and color. In eight weeks, please. I surprise myself. Then, with the reminder card in my hand, I push the glass door open and walk to my car. my god oh my god okay um I absolutely 100% love every single word that Lorreen said the way she said it the way she used the container I just every time I hear it I like it more I want more I can't wait to be friends with this lady I mean honestly I just the more she revealed the more I like was attracted to her yeah I agree I okay I want to start with how she started she said from right at the very beginning that she hasn't bathed, that she can smell her armpits without even lifting her arms. Such a great detail that put us in her mindset. And then she has this opportunity to cancel her hairdressing appointment, but she is too exhausted to even call. Sometimes it just feels too hard to pick up the phone and it just feels easier to do the thing. And I so felt her. Yeah, me too. Okay, so then... We're talking here today about container, and Laureen contained her whole entire story in the one afternoon where she's getting her hair done. So she goes in, and first the colorist paints her hair. It stings a little. Oh, she kept doing this thing. Did you notice this? She was very physical in her details. Like she felt pain, and then later she felt a sting. Like whenever the hairdresser was painting something on her head, like she talked about the physical sensation of it which I thought was really cool. There's this one moment at the beginning where she's at the hairdresser and she's saying, do not cry. Like that's her mantra. She's saying that over and over to herself. And every single time I hear the story, I get chills. I so feel it. And then what she does right there, she closes her eyes and here's a beautiful transition. So she takes us out of the container, which is the hair salon, and she takes us back in time. 18 days earlier, she got a call. Can I interrupt for two seconds? I thought you weren't going to interrupt. I know, but you know I can't help it. But I just want to say this thing about the do not cry part because it brought me right back to a moment where I was sitting and dealing with my own trauma and just saying that to myself. So I thought it was so universal the way she said that. And I really wanted to just bring that up, how sometimes we think our details are not, no one's going to care, they're not going to relate. But the more specific she was with that detail, the words she said, the reason she said, Really, I related to 100%. I have not been in that exact situation. Something similar, but not the exact one. But it brought me right back. Nice. Well done. Okay, so she closes her eyes, and she goes back to 18 days earlier when she got the call. And then she gets in the car. And then while she's telling the story about getting the call, she goes back in time again. And she tells us what it was like being a mother to this child. And I love the details so much. The ladybug party and the little mermaid party. And then she's like, 
but she couldn't help thinking about this sick, terrible, sad thought of the outfit she would pick out for her daughter in her casket. Just ugh, terrible. That's and what they, she has to look forward to now as she's driving. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then she sees her daughter in the hospital. She tells us that whole thing. And she's, oh, she's watching her breathe. She used the idea of watching her daughter breathe. She brought it back later. Mm-hmm. And here she's watching her daughter breathe. And then she seamlessly takes us back to the container, the hair salon. And there's, um, she feels sandpaper on her head. Something like sort of wakes her up in the moment. <laughs> and, and we're back with her in the hair salon, in the today. And then she closes her eyes again under the dryer. And she remembers a time years ago when she first had the baby and then we're with her when she's going through postpartum oh my god it's so beautiful and then she tells us and this is where we get not just the two situations that are going on in the story which are that the daughter attempted to commit suicide and that she is getting her hair done but she tells us what the story is about for her she realizes that watching her daughter is not going to it's not going to make a difference. Well, she Watch. doesn't have any control. Yeah. She has no control over how her daughter feels about her place in this world and about continuing, you know, finding her place in this world. She just, she can't. Watching won't keep her alive, but it will keep me from living. Yeah. So then without saying, okay, I made the decision that it's my time to live and that I can't not la la la. Yeah. She says, she shows us the scene of her basically making the appointment yeah and walking out okay yeah and then she does this very visual thing where she like pushes the door open and we watch her walk into her life yeah so well done Laureen Griswold oh thank you thank you Laureen for sharing your story with us really amazing thank you a little bit more about Laureen She has been working for the Chevron Corporation for almost 30 years. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, three kids, two cats, and a dog. Thank you for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Christine Corey. Additional music by Kevin Miles Wilson. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by The Launchpad at the University of Miami. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio.com. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. And check out the writing classes and publishing insights we're giving our Patreon supporters. So for $10 a month, you receive Andrea's Publishing Insights. And we're going to have an email conversation through Patreon where we talk about what works, what doesn't work, what did work, what didn't work, failures and successes with publishing. And for $25 a month, you get to join my Tuesday's Writer's Lunch. So it's just a way to hook in on Zoom. We have a little get together. We all write from a prompt and share. So it's only $25 a month. That's $6 a class. So sign up. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness 
physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.